Though our scriptural reading isn't very long tonight, so you won't be down long. Um, But uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Leviticus, chapter 20, verses 7 and 8, uh, and in general, this idea of holiness and its call. Um, So let's read together Leviticus 20, um, or I'll read Leviticus 20, verse 7 and 8, pay attention to God's word. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Are you a saint? That's what I asked my junior high Sunday school class. And since they're junior high kids, they usually hesitate to answer. Saints, what does that mean? What does it mean to be holy? It has this range, and, uh, and so I appreciate their hesitation as, uh, as we use that to think about uh, what it is the Bible teaches. Uh, in Roman Catholic doctrine, the requirement for sainthood includes demonstrating a heroic level of virtue, performing a miracle, and maybe the most important one you have to be dead already. Um, So as we think on this, are we holy or not? We're commanded to be holy. What what does that mean? What does that mean with regard to our holiness? And so what I want to do tonight is to explore holiness, uh, especially as it's found in Leviticus, uh, because it is this background book for holiness language in the rest of the Bible. And our text for tonight, and I'll read it here again, we're, we're faced with a couple questions. Uh, um, I'll, uh, I'll say them first. Who, who was holy in Israel and in what way? Here we have Israel being spoken of. Right? It's a call, consecrate yourselves, make yourselves holy. We'll talk more about that. Therefore, and be holy. For I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. They're commanded to be holy. Does that mean they're to make themselves holy? Did God do that? And what does holiness mean anyway? And so there's a number of questions that we can ask on this simple word that we find throughout the biblical text. uh, And what exactly does it mean? And so what we'll find is that there are, what I would say, are two related conceptions of holiness, uh, two types. And then, as we th- after we think about that, we'll work on the definition and then how it relates to us. Now, when you think of holiness, hopefully the first thing you think of is very much the song we last sang. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. A unique use of that repetition to show his ultimate holiness. The Lord, the Lord, the whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, And uh, God's holiness is central to Leviticus, since, as we'll see, everything's related to that, a holy God coming to be in their presence. 
But tonight we're not focusing on God's holiness, but we could say the holiness of the creature, his creation. Uh, But we can say just a little bit, as we think of God's holiness, uh, it's, it's best to not think of it as one specific attribute, like his moral nature, uh, his power, his transcendence. Instead, it relates to all of his divine um, nature as a whole. And so when you read the Old Testament, it'll actually talk about all different expressions of what God does. They are expressions of his holiness. Holiness coming in judgment. Holiness coming in salvation. Holiness in showing his mercy. Uh, and so Bavink, Herman Bavink, to give a one quotation on that, he says, Now in the first place, Yahweh is not called holy because of an immediately conspicuous attribute. He is rather called holy in a comprehensive sense, in connection with every revelation that impresses humans with his deity. But as I said, our focus this evening is on God's creation. Because people, places, objects, even time, are spoken of as holy. Uh, And that's what we find in Leviticus especially and and elsewhere. Um, And we find it in two ways. And so this first one is with regard to the tabernacle. And then we'll see the second one is with regard to Israel. And I think you very recently got done uh, with a sermon through Exodus. So you're very familiar with the tabernacle and, uh, and all that's there. And Leviticus just runs into uh, how things are to operate in that, in that. And it goes even into numbers. Uh, and in all of this, right, the purpose, God says, for why he brought Israel out of Egypt was that he might dwell among them. Uh, Exodus 29:46 says, And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And since God is holy, his dwelling place, his tabernacle needs to be holy. And those caring for it, those who are present there, serving him, the priests, they need to be holy. And everything that's presented, all the offerings that are brought to God to show his place for Israel, they need to be holy. And so that's what Leviticus is describing. This whole system surrounding the tabernacle, we could call this sacrificial ceremonial system, dealing with these offerings and these washings and everything else that was commanded as a proper way for Israel to care for God's dwelling place, this proper way for them to approach. And the use of this language of holiness for the tabernacle, for the people, for the offerings, it would have sounded normal to those round about Israel. The nations around Israel, they also used similar language for their temples, for their priests, for their offerings. They were holy. As God... Thereby, God, as he's instructing Israel, he's using language that they would have been familiar with as he's describing his dwelling place. But in Leviticus, we also find this second use that's unique. That God also uses this language of holiness, not for priests and other things, but for this nation as a whole, for his people, for Israel. 
Everyone knew what it meant for a priest to be holy because he served at a holy temple. He wore special robes. He performed special rites. But for a nation to be holy, what does that mean? And as we think about this, it's important to distinguish between these two uses of holiness uh, to understand what's going on. And so we can say the one is, is the more technical, narrow use of holiness tied with tabernacle, priest, offerings. And then there is this broader, this extended use of holiness for Israel as a whole. The narrow sense, Aaron, his sons, they were holy, and all of Israel was not holy, was common. But in that broader sense, even the average Israelite was holy. And so God wanted to teach Israel something about who they are as he uses this language, this language that originates around the tabernacle in this broader sense. And we find it already when he meets at Sinai and he says to them, you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy and a holy nation. Using that language of priests and holy, even though he's going to set up a priesthood and have a holy place in the tabernacle. And I would, I would say an analogy to this is the way that we use the language of a family. When you hear somebody talk about brothers and sisters, fathers, mothers, you need to know whether they're using it in a more narrow, technical use, blood relations, or is it in a broader use? You are all my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I think that uh, gives us an analogy for what, what God is doing here. Uh, and so what we need to see is God's using this language to teach Israel, to instruct them how they're to view themselves. He lays out this whole sacrificial ceremonial system about the tabernacle to teach them many things. But one is this purpose as an illustration for Israel on how to see themselves. What you know about holiness, what you're seeing in all of this, about Aaron and his sons and then priests, it applies to you, Israel, in this broader sense. So then we can think a little bit more on the definition. What is holiness? And as we do that, it's, it's best to, again, reflect on this more technical use of it, right? This narrower use in the tabernacle and then as it think of it broadly. And one, one helpful definition says that holiness denotes anything that belongs to God's realm or sphere of existence. Or we could say it's anything that has a special association with God. And we, uh, we could coordinate a little bit with a common definition of holy as set apart as long as we include set apart for God. It belongs to God. And so when you think of the tabernacle, it's in God's realm. It's his dwelling place. It has special association with him. It's that focal point of his dwelling in Israel. And the priests, they're his special servants, the ones who minister to him. Uh, and those offerings, they have this special association as they're brought to him at his place of dwelling. 
but as we think of these, the tabernacle, the priests, the offerings, there's another part of holiness that's crucial. Anything belonging to God's realm, anything associated with him in this special way, needed to be treated in a special way. The tabernacle had a number of rules. You couldn't just walk in there. You couldn't just go and look and see whatever, whatever, um, anything that you wanted. You needed to make sure you were clean just to approach it. The priests, they had special rules and washings as they came. And who could go where? Only the high priest could go into that most inner room and only on that day of atonement and in a special way. And the same thing was with the offerings. They had to be cared for in a certain way. They had to reach a certain level of perfection in their physical out, outward appearance. Uh, we have all of these various rules. And so as you think of holiness, you need to think of those two parts. That there is this status of association with God, and there is this standard that is to be kept because it is holy. And so Moses at the burning bush, what happens? God says the ground is holy. There's its status. And then he says, and so take off your sandals. There's the standard that must be kept because that ground is holy. And as we think of that, and even just thinking of that illustration, we can emphasize that both are given by God. God is the one who grants the status of holy. He's the one who makes something holy. And he's the one who commands the standard, who says how it is to be treated. An average Israelite, they couldn't say, well, I think I should be a priest. I think I can reach this and make myself this holy priest. No, it was only God, by choosing Aaron and his sons and consecrating them, setting out how they would be consecrated, that's how they became holy. And then he gives them all of their rules, even various rules on how to marry and how to bury, among other things. Uh, So these two parts of the definition of holiness, status and standard, they help us understand what is meant when holiness is commanded. When we hear the instruction, be holy. God says of the priests, and this is from Leviticus 21, verse 6, God says of the priests, he says, they shall be holy to their God. There's this command to the priest, be holy. They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God. Therefore, they shall be holy. As you read that, were the priests holy? Yeah, we just said they were holy. That's what God had done. He had set them apart, chosen Aaron and his sons. They belonged to God's realm. They were his servants. And uh, and yet, then how can God command them to be holy? Be holy, it says. They shall be holy to their God. What does that mean? They can't make themselves holy. We said that that was God's work. And they're already holy. God has already done that. And this is where we need to think of those two parts, 
that that command to be holy is really a command for that priest to act like a priest. He's a holy priest and he is to act like a holy priest. To do what God had commanded the priest to do. You are a holy priest, so treat yourself like one. Act like one. And we can make similar statements. Now, it might not be very politically correct, but if my son is complaining about something, I can say to him, be a man. Now, he is a man. He's a young man. He's getting older. Uh, so I'm not commanding him to become a man. I'm commanding him to act like one, to stop whining, to, to take his, stop shirking his duties, to stand up for that. Or similar, I could tell my daughter, be a lady. Right? Act according to what it is that uh, ladies should be like. And so it's that same way that this command there to the priest, be holy. It's saying, be who you are. You're a holy priest of God. Act like it. Act according to the standard that God has set out. And that uh, standard in, uh, in Old Testament Israel, it wasn't a suggestion. When we read on, we find in Leviticus that uh, an offering that wasn't treated in the proper way, it was invalidated. It no longer served its purpose. It was no longer holy. Uh, a priest who did not treat himself as holy, there were consequences. Either it was death cutting off or or he would lose his right to be a priest. He would become common in that. Uh, and even the tabernacle, if it was repeatedly mistreated and profaned, its rules were neglected, God would break out in judgment against Israel and eventually forsake his dwelling. And it would no longer be holy. And so it's in this context of holiness centered on the tabernacle, having that in our background, that God comes to Israel, as we said, and says something unique. You, Israel, you know about my dwelling, my priests, how they're connected with me, my realm, how they belong to me. Well, all of you, Israel, likewise, you're mine. You're in my realm. You're associated with me. You are holy. And just as you know all those rules governing my dwelling place, the tabernacle, those priests who serve there, all the offerings that get brought there, so you too have a standard. Because you're in my realm, this law that I've given to you, this law at Sinai, this is your standard of holiness. And so having that, we can read again our text here, and I'll... I'll um, emphasize, we could say, the different parts. Leviticus 20, verse 7, consecrate yourself, or we could translate it, right? Think of yourselves as holy. Treat yourselves as holy. Therefore, and be holy, right? Act as one who is holy. For I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctified you. 
That's how I would render that past part. God had taken them to himself in the Exodus, made them his people, sanctified them, and now he is calling on them to be who they are. You are holy, and so be holy. And Leviticus 20 here is really part of this section in Leviticus 18 through 20 where God is is very much focused on his relationship with Israel. And as you read it, he emphasizes all of these different commandments that are in there with repeated phrases of different lengths. I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh your God. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. And for example, later on in chapter 20, verse 26, you shall be holy to me. Right? You shall act as holy, for I am the Lord, uh, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. God is holy and he consecrated his people as holy when he brought them out from the land of Egypt to be their God. And he commanded them what is required of his holy people, that whole law of Israel. And so how did Israel do? How did God's holy people, those Old Testament saints? Well, I trust you know the Old Testament well enough to answer that question. Perhaps we could summarize it with Isaiah, thinking again of that, uh, where he sees God in his holiness. We can think of Isaiah's response. Isaiah verse, chapter 6, verse 5. After he sees God and the seraphim calling out, holy, 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 he says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That is Israel's problem and our problem. We're sinners. We can't keep God's holy law, that standard for our holiness. Israel was holy because God consecrated Israel when he took them out in that exodus and made that covenant. But they couldn't be holy, act as holy as it was required. And as we read the Old Testament, it makes it painfully clear that Israel could not do that on their own. But it also makes it clear that there would be a work of God. A work of God that would bring this about. God promises to do such in a number of places, but even within Leviticus, as he's looking to them And if they obey the blessings and if they disobey the curses, after he lists all the curses, he says in Leviticus 26, verses 40 and then into 42, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me and also in walking contrary contrary to me, then I will remember my covenant. There will be this restoration. And... We could look at more fully what God says, but this wonder of the gospel is that God says, well, I will have that holy people, and they will be holy. They will keep my law. 
They will keep it fully. And he accomplished that. He accomplishes it through the incarnation. The incarnation of the Son and then the application to his people through the Spirit. And so as Paul says in the New Testament, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, to make her holy, having cleansed her by the water of washing with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she might be holy and without blemish. And so, dear people of God, you are saints. You are holy ones. You belong to God's realm. The New Testament emphasizes that in many places. Paul calls the congregation saints in many places. Uh, but the, it uh, speaks of, of uh, using that language of God dwelling amongst us like the tabernacle, us as priests, even as offerings. And yet we still have that call. Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 14-16, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your formal ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And it's often that call to be holy that discourages us. Because you and I, we so often fail to treat ourselves as holy. To keep God's standard, we give in to temptation, we sin again and again. And it's in those moments, but it's really all the time, that we need to remember that we're not saints because we made ourselves holy. We're saints because if you believe in the name of Jesus, God has claimed you as his own. He said you are holy. And there's no question of whether you've done enough because you can't. There's no question if you've sinned too greatly because Christ's blood and life is sufficient. And so you can have confidence that if you believe that God has claimed you and his spirit is working in you. He is renewing you so that you can be holy, so that one day you will do the will of God as the angels in heaven and press on and anticipate and look forward to that day. So I know that you as I, we, we often don't feel like saints and don't act like saints. And that's why we need this constant reminder week after week of who we are, whose we are. We need to confess our sins. We need to trust in Christ's work for us. And we need to grow, having confidence in the Spirit's work in us, growing in this conformity to our holy status, thinking of ourselves as holy, acting as the saints that we are. And so I... If you will, I'll read a different catechism. The Heidelberg Catechism, I'll end with question and answer 114, as it's a very helpful reminder, not excusing our sin, but reminding us of this continuing work of 
Christ in us through his Spirit as we yearn for that day when it will be complete. And so it says there, question answer 114, but can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? Answer, no. In this life, even the holiness, holiest, or we could say the one who is most treating themselves as holy, even the holiest have only a small beginning of disobedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all, not only some, of God's commandments. 